You mute him. There you go. <laughs> Limbo for Rob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Just okay, it's echoing it. for some reason. Like stop every time. Like uh, uh, Scott's thing. Now you're breaking up. Do you have echo? What's that thing called? Echo uh, cancellation. Is there echo cancellation on Zoom? Yeah, but but that's not for what's happening with him. Okay, we're in the middle of Hanukkah. Christmas is fast approaching, and this is Glop Culture. I'm John Pudhoritz in New York. Rob Long elsewhere in New York rolling up a useless microphone cord. Yes. You will hear Rob's voice sounding a little tinny because he's not on a mic. Hi, Rob. Nope. Hi, John. How are you? I am well. And in Washington, having returned from the um, from his Orientalist trip, Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hey, John. And Mike, I mean, Rob does have a mic. It's just not a good one. It's a built-in yeah, right. mic yeah. to his... No, no, his... it's the Air- AirPods. Oh, AirPods mic. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wait, so, Jonah, where were you? Uh, went to Istanbul, oh. and uh, um, and then went to uh, London for a few days. And grand time in both. Excuse me. Which which bless um, you? Which city had more Muslims? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I gotta say, look, I mean, it's the first time I've been back to Istanbul. I was just telling uh, Emirgut, uh, I spent more on our first night of a hotel in Istanbul than I spent in my entire week in Istanbul uh, yeah. 30 years ago. But right. that's a little misleading. It makes it sound like we were incredibly lavish and we were incredibly lavish. But uh, the first time I was in Istanbul, the first night, our hotel, five of us stayed in a hotel room and it was 80 cents a piece. So mm. um, it was uh, easy to get a multiple of that. <laughs> um, you guys were convicted of drug smuggling. It was, um, it was it was quite an adventure, but anyway, no. Istanbul is great. It's really it's my interesting favorite city. Place. One of my fa- one of my favorite cities. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and love um, it. I think it's it's important to remind people that Istanbul is not Turkey in the same way that New York is not America. You know, I mean, in the sense that it's like, I mean, obviously New York is part of America and Istanbul is part of Turkey, but like culturally, Istanbul is a very cosmopolitan, European oh kind of city, and I think has been more, for fifteen hundred years. Yeah. yeah. So it was great. It was great. It's funny. I was in Istanbul. This is like the first, maybe it was the first time. I don't know when it was uh, a long time ago. And uh, I was like wandering around, not the Grand Bazaar, but the other one. And there was an antique store. And I was sort of looking at an antique store and talking to the guy. And I wasn't going to buy anything. And he sort of knew it, but I was still having apple tea and doing the thing you have to do. And he said that, oh, I said, how long has the store been open? He goes, oh, well, my great great grandfather opened this store. So they've been selling antiques. In Istanbul, like <laughs> that, <laughs> since they made stuff that we now buy for antiques, like since the it, antiques that they were how, selling were new. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. It's like the craziest. It's like it's such an old place that. Uh, so I, I love it. A, and did not I, have a bad meal. I had not didn't have one bad. Did not have. You know, maybe I've been in Turkey. Maybe a total of two. You know, I don't know. Three. You know, twelve weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks. Uh, never had a bad meal there. Never once. I, I met a Swiss banker once. Um, uh, part of this junket thing and he was telling me about their his bank and he said yeah one of our biggest clients is this family that has controlled the rug importation business in turkey since the 1200s (laughs) (laughs) 
I've only been in Istanbul once. It was in 1998. It was at a conference uh, sponsored, co-sponsored by the Moonies, American Enterprise Institute. No, and and uh, somebody else. This was so long ago that this was a NATO expansion conference hosted in part by John O'Sullivan. That's how long ago this was. Wow. Wow. When John O'Sullivan was for NATO expansion. Um, there was a time when there's when, a little when, bit inside joke there. Yeah, where, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a time when it. Vladimir Putin. <laughs> there was a time when Vladimir Putin was in favor of NATO expansion. We forget, like the you know, few years yeah. after 9/11, he was thinking maybe it should include me too. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, here are my two funny stories from Istanbul. One, it's a very lavish conference. Atlanta, the this Atlanticist <laughs> conference. Hundreds of people were flown over, including me. Uh, and there, uh, this is the. Uh, they're they're making the case to join NATO, uh, or excuse me, the EU. So they're, they're making the case to join the EU. Uh, and so the first night there is an incredibly lavish banquet at the Ministry of Defense. Everybody's in uniform, you know, so talking about how wonderful Turkey is as a member of NATO. We're years away from Erdogan becoming president. And I have to excuse myself. So, and it's beautiful. The building is beautiful, it's said lavish, all this. And then I had to go to the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom, and there are three holes in the floor. So in mm-hmm. other words, they had westernized. They said that our, right. the hotel that we were in, of course, had normal Western toilets and stuff like this. But there at the Ministry of Defense, which was, of course, ordinarily just Turks working in Turkey, right? Yeah, was the old hole in the floor. The uh, squat. That... The squat, yeah, and you know, like uh, I know that this was the case in France until the 1960s. That they they still did they oh, did not have. There were a few of them. Yeah, there was one. I used to go to a place in Paris called La Palette. I still do. It's great. Um, it's one of my favorite places, favorite cafes. And when I would ever take a new person there, I say go to the bathroom. And uh, um, I think I once told my mom to go to the bathroom, and she came and said, "Why would you tell me to do that?" I was watch funny. You see, it's the last Turkish squat. Bathroom in Paris, I could find. Yeah. You can only, you know, um, we we should explain to like normal listeners who may not know this. This is something that's not an embarrassing thing not to know. Is that Turkish toilet basically is a hole in the floor? That's it. And, and but, but all of Europe, it was, yeah. America had the toilet, mm-hmm. and Britain had the water closet. Thanks to John and Crapper. the rest of Europe. There you, go, John Crapper, <laughs> right. and the rest of Europe <laughs> had a hole had holes in the floor. Right. Uh, this, there, this, there's this that old. A, apocryphal story which i don't i mean i'm apocryphal but it's too good to check that uh when everyone when when you know nixon had come up with his brilliant gambit to go to peking um and sort of re uh, upend the cold war and change the course of really the second half of 20th century and and still today uh it was a giant triumph diplomatically everything was a go and somebody said to him because you'll have to stay at the ba- old, what they call the Beijing Hotel. It only had one hotel in Beijing. He had to stay there. Um, they probably don't have a toilet. It's probably just a footprint in a hole in the ground. And Nixon said, well, that's it. I'm not going. And they, um, <laughs> they ended up on, uh, on the advanced team, um, brought in a toilet and bolted it to the plumbing in his the presidential suite. Uh, everyone else had a squat, but Nixon got to sit. Uh, oh, which like, doesn't sound de- democratic to me. Bolted it to the plumbing. I mean, like, if if they don't, don't have, I mean, like, 
No, so 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 he could sit on a toilet. There was no water. Yeah, just went down into the hole. Fill it. Yeah. So it's (laughs) so it's funny. uh, It's a camp chair. We used to call it the long drop. We'd call it like when when I was camping in the Sahara. My um. Oh well. My we were talking about the uh, about toilets last night. I was at this or yesterday. I was at this. uh, lunch how, how often does this topic come up twice in one day well uh twice in 24 hours let's walk say. a mile in my shoes my friend uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, walk, a mile, walk a mile in my pants john <laughs> and uh my friend seth stevenson uh formerly of slate magazine uh he wrote this whole book about traveling around the world and um and all are not I don't know, but all but Russian trains regularly the the toilet the part of the reason this came up was that he had to take an Amtrak up from New York and the the PA guy said if you got liquid the toilets will work if you got solids they won't and uh, this of course sparked a long conversation and but he was saying in Russia trains and I've seen it in some European trains when I was in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe three years ago there's no septic system it's just when you flush it it's a it's a hole. That yeah. goes out to the bottom right. of the train and drops, and and Steve was saying how I mean Seth was saying how um in a lot of Russian train stations in the hinterlands they have signs up saying don't use this when the train is at the station yeah right unless you're just leaving this mess right in front of the platform rather than distribute it all across the Trans Siberian <laughs> that's right uh, <laughs> you know uh, in India I think it's still the case in India uh, in the morning if you take a train in the morning. And you open up the windows as the train is pulling out of the station. The the train the the rail yards are um, are a place where the people who live around the train station, which is a lot of people, uh, will squat. And so you can actually take a train, and as you're pulling out of the station, you're passing almost like rockets, uh, just a line of people facing away from you. Which I don't know whether that's better or worse. Um, you know, so would this be the doing their business episode of Glob? <laughs> it's, no, no. it's look, it's fast. Look, I we're so weird. We, we, we don't talk about it's such a fascinating topic, right? It's the one thing there's so much shame associated with this thing that literally, you know, everyone does. It's like they just that, you know, we, that's the book. one thing. Yeah, there's a, a children. Everyone, everyone poops. It was a Japanese yeah, right. children's book that everybody handed out so that you know, because there was this whole thing like 20 years ago about how. There were there were ch- toddlers who held in their poop, held it in because of the well, shame. And you needed to well, you needed point, to yeah. you needed 2016 to twenty sixteen elected one. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you um, hold it in though. Yeah. Uh, there's there's, there's but, no evidence that Donald Trump is anal retentive. Let's be honest. Now that that fair, is a fair. Freudian phase. Like I, but I, but it's this thing that everyone we 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 must do it in private. Like people really feel like they have to do it in private, which I I, I am one of those people. But. Um, uh, I, maybe we've come to the end of this topic. I, I, if we keep talking about it, then I'm gonna I'm gonna get really into it, and I'm gonna be disappointed when we move to superhero movies or science fiction. So um, we should uh, we should let's put a pin in it. Okay. I, yeah, I, put I a wanna, pin in it. You know, I, I, let's get off the pot. I want to uh, I want to make a I want a shout out uh, that, that is weirdly related to this. Uh, so I was just listening before this podcast to another podcast because, of course, that's all I do is record podcasts and listen to other podcasts. And it was, in fact, Jonah's Remnant podcast. And his guest this week is Jessica Gavora Goldberg, his yeah. 
his wife. Uh, second time on the podcast. It's great. How'd you get her? But how'd you how'd you how'd you dude, how'd you land that guest? My agents had to negotiate everything with her people. It was sure. brown, no brown M and M's. No brown M and M's. But anyway, um. I bring this up because Jonah, you have given this podcast a title so obscure that I am the only person who gets the reference. So it is Merry Christmas, Ms. Gavora, which I take to be a reference. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not. Maybe there is a movie that was released in the early eighties called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence with David Bowie about uh, Brits who were in a sure, Japanese prisoner of war camp. And I, the reason that this comes to mind, maybe again, maybe you didn't name it that for this reason. It's a great movie. It's a remarkable movie in part. First of all, David Bowie is fantastic in it. Second of all, um, it was made by a guy named Nagisha Oshima, who was only known was okay. before this and after this for having made the famous autoerotic asphyxiation X-rated movie in the realm of the senses, uh, which 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 was a huge like controversy in the mid seventies, late seventies, because it was like an X-rated movie and it showed people doing you know choking each other. To, I hope to, Joe, Jonah did now, not mean that though. So no, was the association when you think about having your, your wife on no, with no. the association? Well, let me, let me think about it. masturbation and Japanese no, internment no, uh, no. prisoner of war. No, camp. here's what's important. The reason I bring this up is that I was thinking about Merry Christmas, Sister Lawrence, and there is a horrifying scene of torture involving somebody and a toilet. And so that's what that's what brought this to mind. But did you in fact name this podcast after Merry Christmas, Sister Lawrence, or were you just wishing Ms. Gavora, as you call I, it? I'm reluctant to give you a peek behind the curtain of our process of our, of our nomenclature, <laughs> podcast nomenclature process. But I will say, uh, in all honesty, I didn't name it at all. Uh, uh, Even better. Adam or Guy Denton uh, came up with the name. I tend not to name the podcasts unless I have some sort of inspiration. I uh, name mine, and it's a night because we do, you know, we do five a week, and I, and I, you know, like, you name them? It's exhausting. Well, you it's have like, to kinda... put a name on them for the for the, for sure. uh, yeah. the name could, could, Should the name be the date for you? No, John, because we don't do that for it's like a tagline. But we so don't like, do. I mean, but John does one every single day. So it right, no. Like... So like today's because we talked about Zelensky's speech. So today's was called "A Tale of Two Flags." But people will often say to me, like, "I really like that podcast." You know. Did Trump want to do that? And I'm like, I, w- which one is that? I don't know. I there and then like they say the one you did on December 12th. Same name. And yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I have no uh, idea what that is. Can we just go back to? Can we just go back to toilets for one second? Because I don't know if I've told this That's great why story. I said put a pin in it because I knew yeah. you were going to come back. Put a cork in it. Um, my uh, <laughs> uh, old friend of mine, great comedy writer. I, I think uh, John knows him. Um, uh, that when they were um, Tom Leopold, when they were uh, in- incapable of not making a joke, uh, and they were. Um, his first daughter, and it was really hard to potty train her. It was very difficult. She didn't like it. She thought it was weird. Um, They finally got her to sort of be okay with it. And then one day after the struggle, she sort of announced at some point, I am going to the potty. And he and his wife looked at each other like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. He's really happy. This is it. We've crossed the Rubicon. This is fantastic. And as she is going there, he couldn't help but call out to her. That's great, honey, but don't let the poopy monster drag you down to Dutyville. <laughs> and she stopped. And she said, that's it. I'm not doing it. And his <laughs> wife apparently 
or Barbara that, that came very close to calling a lawyer. Like it was not even funny. This is not funny. He goes, it's kind of funny, right? It's kind of funny. No, it's not funny. Uh, so don't let the poopy monster drag you down to Dutyville. My wife, because <laughs> we had some similar issues with my daughter, but I'm, I'm not going there. But if I had done that in a, in that context, my wife would have grabbed a glass ashtray or whatever's nearest to hand and smashed it across the bridge of my nose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, your wife, right. could, come on. Your wife could take you without a glass ashtray. Uh, Let's face it. Uh, she is a... Yeah. She is a she is a fine figure of a woman, very tall, and uh, I wouldn't cross her. I wouldn't cross her. No, what I'm no, but the glass ashtray is just efficiency, John. At that point, you don't yeah. you, like you you know that the contact of the glass and the bridge of the nose will create some kind of like long term brain damage. Yes, yes. And, uh, and also, yeah. just a really satisfying sound. The onomatopoeia of it will be great. Right. <laughs> Rob, you got I a think- great. So you got a great 50, 60s quality, 50s quality, because like the, the glass ashtrays were always around indoors. Well, so like it's funny, like the reason I say glass ashtrays is like I grew up in a household where my parents uh had some amazingly hefty glass and marble ashtrays yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And including uh some great ones from like the Senate and the White House, like big, big, serious, heavy, like crystal baccarat kind of feeling yeah. kind of things. Yeah. And and then quite a few from Eastern Europe, which uh, they had gone on some junkets of some communist countries, and and they always referred to those as their liberated ashtrays. <laughs> um, <laughs> they took them from various state-owned hotels or whatever. Um, uh, those ashtrays a- were always bad news. If you know, speaking as a, a former smoker, because if you have a really big ashtray, of course, you're probably going to be too lazy to empty it at regular intervals, and mm-hmm. so the cigarette that you put in it will end up lighting the filter of the cigarette that's sitting there right. and create an unholy stink that uh, that you know is now one of those smells that no longer exists probably that reminds because... me of home yeah childhood yeah, yeah like right chip cookies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly right or me too like yeah, i remember it's the madeleine my... yeah it's like a poison madeleine the specific smell of uh lincoln continental interior air conditioning and cigarette smoke will t- transport me back to driving to the pool in my grandparents car yeah yeah yeah. Like that is just um I, but i i the thing about ashtrays is that i mean i'm i i'm actually i seem to i seem to collect them i guess even more now than before, where you can really kind of only use one. I have a metal one I have for the car because I smoke a cigar in the car. And then every now and then you need to you need to toss the cigar out the window, but you don't want to do it when people can see you. So you kind of put it in this little ashtray. But I remember a friend of mine stole one. Went to, they went to this great three-star restaurant in Paris and with his wife, and he took it. He does an ashtray, and he took it and put it in his pocket. And as they're leaving, they had this great meal. Um, and it was like, there was a, it was a wonderful day. Uh, and, and he, she, Hey, look, look what I got. And he showed her the ashtray and she stopped in the middle of the street and said, that ruins it. You've ruined it. <laughs> and, and they had a long argument they are now no longer married, but they had a long argument where he <laughs> kept pointing to the underside of the ashtray, the un- underneath the ashtray that had the name of the restaurant and the phone number. He goes, they want you to take it. Look, they want you to take it. <laughs> and she said, no, that's just, you've ruined it. Uh, and I, I, he actually gave me the ashtray. He wanted, he said it was got bad. So I have it and I love it. It doesn't ruin it at all. What's the restaurant? Alain, it's Alain Ducasse. It was like the, oh. at that point, the most, uh, the, 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 the big fancy three-star restaurant in Paris. 
He wanted you to take the ashtray, by the way. He, at one point, he wanted you to take the pen you used to sign. That's how expensive <laughs> the restaurant. You know it's an expensive restaurant. Like, hey, wh- whatever you want, just take it. We've, <laughs> we've screwed you so much on the soup. You could have whatever you want. Throw a sack over the head of the busboy. Take him, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving without compromising your values. Is cancel culture coming for your charitable dollars? Big banks that sponsor charitable savings accounts or donor-advised funds, as they're formerly called, have a history of slow-walking or altogether blocking donations to conservative and libertarian charities. Charities rejected by some of the big banks include Atlas Network, National Review Institute, the National Rifle Association Foundation, Liberty Council, and others. Clearly, not every donor-advised fund provider welcomes libertarians or conservatives. Let Donors Trust help service your charitable giving. Donors Trust was built with GLOP listeners in mind, people who believe limited government and constitutional rights are worth fighting for. So if you already have a donor-advised fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps by calling my friends at Donors Trust. The Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals. Partner with the fund that matches your values. To learn more, download their prospectus at www.donorstrust.org. That's www.donorstrust.org. To align giving with your values, visit www dot donors trust slash glop and we are also brought to you today by ladder look if you're anything like me you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute you know sending your stuff to your accountant for taxes for the year if you do that or doing your own taxes or filing your estimateds seeing a doctor or a dentist And while most of the time it works out, the one thing in life you cannot really afford to wait on is setting up term coverage life insurance for obvious reasons. You've probably seen life insurance commercials on TV and thought, yeah, I'll look into that later. No, this isn't something you can wait on. Choose life insurance through Ladder today. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, just answer a few questions about your health and an application. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There are no hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven history of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash glop today to see if you're instantly improved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash glop. Ladderlife.com slash glop. Uh, so I was a student undergraduate at the University of Chicago, uh, and I studied with Alan Bloom, uh, who was not yet sure. uh, not yet famous, but was a sort of legendary classroom teacher, lecturer. And uh, one day I was in the class, uh, sitting next to me was my best friend then and now, Todd Lindbergh, uh, now of the Hudson Institute, but we were both at... Uh, both at Chicago together, and we were smokers. He had he was my Johnny Appleseed with cigarettes. He had he he smoked when we started college, and he had parliaments, and he would give them to me, and then I became a smoker. And Bloom was a smoker, and Bloom smoked in class. And not only did Bloom smoke in class, but because he smoked in class, you could smoke in class. So he's smoking at the lectern. We're smoking in the in Great. the seats in Swift Hall. 
And uh, Bloom was a spellbinding lecturer, and he and it really what he he really wasn't an interactive class that much, although he liked to do the Socratic method when it suited his interest. But mostly, it was just him talking, and you he you never heard a greater talker. But he was very he had full full of ticks, and he 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 he, he, he did this, and he went ah ah the ah the ah and all this, and he was it, it is the good, and his hands shook. It was like he had he had you know Catherine Hepburn you know he was like Catherine yeah. Hay his hand shook, and so at some point he's talking the I, I, Aristotle was I, uh, something or other and he takes out a cigarette and he puts it in his mouth and it's a Marlboro and he's got it reversed he's so focused on what he's saying Uh-oh. that he's put the tobacco end in his mouth and the filter is is the thing that and he takes his lighter out and his hand is shaking and he lights the lighter and out of nowhere todd just goes no (laughs) (laughs) sort of like you know when you know when someone's gonna shoot somebody else in the back (laughs) and bloom goes what todd what Uh?" and then todd goes you're gonna light the filter (laughs) and bloom goes Thank you, thank you very much. And he takes it, moves it, moves it around. But that that is the that is the Alan Bloom was about to light the filter. Uh, on his that would not be the good. It would not be the <laughs> it good. Certainly would not be the good. <laughs> that would not be the good. It would not be a view. Of well, the good. I uh, I worked with an actress for many years who actually passed away uh, last week, Kirstie Alley, and I was not there for this moment. But in her first episode. Um, she had to. She was a closet smoke, secret smoker. Her character was a secret smoker. Maybe or, or early on in her, maybe not her first one, but first or second, third episode. And um, they had a scene where she was. She made a bet with uh, Ted Danson, Sam Malone, that she wouldn't smoke. And I think the bet was probably like, and if I, if you catch me, you sl- you get to sleep with me. It was like these kinds of shows we used to do back then. Um, again, I wasn't there for this. This is the legend was that they had a scene where he is going to catch her smoking, and then she comes in and she's not smoking. Um, and it turns out she's holding the cigarette in such a way that she's burning a hole in her hand. Um, and she said at the first run through, that's dumb. I would never do that. Why don't you just have me do this? And she put a cigarette in her mouth and she flipped it into her mouth. <laughs> and then she unflipped mm-hmm. it. And she, and that is actually the scene they used because it was so funny. Yeah. And I remember my boss at the time or the creators of the show, uh, at the time coming back from that run through telling me this, I wasn't there for that to come in like, we realized that she had talent. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. She, and she's like, I think her grandfather taught her how to do it. Um, um, I, just I think practiced it's a, that incredible as, skill. as a teenager because I thought it was such a cool thing to be able to do. And yeah. But I always practiced with an unlit cigarette. I never got confident enough to ever right. really do it with a lit cigarette. Another tribute, uh, Rob's martini shot this week uh, on the Ankler uh, is a tribute to Kirstie Alley and uh, very much worth 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 the listen. Uh, yeah, very very touching, and uh, you know she, you guys wrote for her a great character. Like Rebecca Howe is one of the great sitcom characters because she is she is uh, v- uh, her whole point is that she wants visually to look like a business shark. Uh, right. You know, incredibly put together, incredibly competent, incredibly focused, hard as nails. And when she goes into her room to be a secret smoker, she completely falls to pieces. And she is like lit. She's just on an incredible knife's edge. And the ability of a beautiful woman to expose right. herself 
that recklessly and to those extremes, uh, as you, as you say in the podcast is, was really, really an extraordinary thing. Oh, I I said it in my own bit. I mean, there's two things that are interesting about this. One is that, um, um, it, she was it had no vanity. So in my obit, I say like she would. My first encounter with her, I guess we had a scene where she was supposed to be climbing through a dumpster, and she was really, really upset when she saw the outfit and everything because she thought she had to talk to somebody because she was worried that they were going to make her not covering garbage. She needed to be covering garbage. Her face needed to be covering garbage, which is a very unusual thing for the leading lady to demand. Um, but she really didn't care about any of that stuff. But the other thing about her character was that you, it's something you that, that I just I, I never really thought of it until just you just mentioned it. Uh, I spent like years later trying to get shows on the air and like, developing TV shows, and one of the constant comments you'd get from executives, development executives, was, um, "You know, I just I just think they should be good at their jobs. Can they be good at their jobs?" And you know, Rebecca Howe was terrible at her job. She was famously bad at it. And like there's this idea, this sort of wish fulfillment that where everyone had to be good at their jobs. And I mean, you watch it on NBC. They're always good at their jobs and CBS. They're always good at their jobs because not being good at your job is like, well, the dials down on that. Um, because if you focus group everything and you ask people specific questions, do you prefer people who are good at their jobs? They're going to say, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, do you think she's good at her job? No, she's terrible at her job. They won't say I enjoyed it. They'll just say they'll give you the answer you want. It's like like, do you think Darth Vader's a good person or a bad person? Do you wish he was not there to be devil? The yes, I he's a terrible person. Oh, we should get rid of Darth Vader. People don't like it. Yeah. Um, and that is exactly how focus groups go, which is one of the reasons why everybody's having trouble now because they just don't have the the I don't know what it is. Not the not the smarts, but almost the anti smarts. Um, they're, they're not dumb enough to know the people. I think the people who are not good at their job are hilarious and they love. Them. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I was thinking about that with, uh, I've been, I, I, I took a break from watching reruns of the office for a while, but I've gotten back into it. The office is full of people who are terrible at their job. Yeah, right. And 30 rock, which I still think is one of the top five sitcoms of all time yeah. is full of people who are bad at it. Um, yeah. there are only two people who are good at their jobs on the office, right? Jim and Pam are the only two people who are good at their no, job. Dwight's actually shockingly good at everything except okay. Right. He, he's good at selling paper, but right. he's bad at everything else, right? But I mean, look, look at right. think of the great shows that we know, right? So there's uh, the Barry Tyler Moore show. Ted is bad at his job. The whole show hinges on Ted, the anchor man being bad at his job, right. and imagine a world in which he's not bad at his job. Uh, Les Nesman, same similar dynamic on WKRP right. and Cincinnati. Right. Le, Le, Les Nesman, good at his job, is ninety per, or Herb Tarlick being good at his job. Ninety percent of the comedy is based yeah. on if, them being bad at their jobs. If Les Nesman or Ted Baxter were good at their job, it would be that Aaron's terrible Aaron Sorkin show. The, 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 the news or that yeah. was, yeah. Or, yeah, 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 and and you know. The whole point about comedy, right, the classic definition of the difference between comedy and tragedy in Greek is that tragedy is about what people of noble intent do, and they often, terrible things happen because they have a pride 
that they have in part because they're they're good or because they're great. And then comedy is about people low being low. Right? It's people at their worst. That's what comedy is about. Mm-hmm. Is what 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 is it like when people do bad things and 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 act like vainly and foolishly and all that? And there is this bizarre bias. And without that terrible that friction, that conflict is the source of comedy and there is this weird American dislike of wanting to show people in a bad light. Hey, can I ask and a question? Crazy. You yeah. two are probably the best qualified people I know to answer this. Um, like certainly in ancient Rome, ancient Greece, actors were somewhere around prostitutes, thieves, you know, uh, untouchables. You know, they were not considered high class people. Into the 19th century, that was still basically true. Certainly in England. Mm-hmm. When did it flip? When did all of a sudden they become the new aristocracy rather than kind of like low grade um, mass media? Yeah, movies. Is it just mass TV and, and movies? No, but it it? Well, the, the, the radio, radio, the phonograph, movies, the 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 creation of stardom, which was not a thing. Like there were two or three actors who were known over the course of history, and nobody else, right? Yeah, Edwin Burbage. Edwin Booth and Sarah Bernhardt like that. That's basically it that anybody ever knew about. And then suddenly you have this well, new John Wilkes Booth made a name for himself. Right. He did. <laughs> but not and as an the actor. player at the Players Club in Manhattan, right on Gramercy Park, which is, is is in Edwin. It's hard to remember, like how famous Edwin Booth was. Edwin Booth was incredibly famous in the United States and in England. I mean, he was gigantic, like Brad Pitt and George Clooney and a bunch of people all rolled up into one. And then, uh, so he and Mark Twain formed a club called the Players Club for actors and people like that. And it's this beautiful old house that he lived in. His room, his bedroom, is still kept intact um, on Gramercy Park. And in the library, under the one of the glass cases, they had the facsimile of the handwritten letter that he and his uh, mother and sister and other brother wrote an open letter to America, apologizing for the mm-hmm. act of their bro- his brother, John Wilkes Booth. It's so crazy to think that um, they did that. And, um, and, he, and and John Wilkes Booth lived on Grove Street in Manhattan for a long time. Yeah. Um, Listen, so the, one but, of the reasons that yeah. actors were thought of as being prostitutes is that they were prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> they would go, they would come to town for a three night stay. And like, yeah, the right. fem- if there were females in the, in the, in the yeah. cast, they would sell them. They would to make a little extra mm. money. They would, you know, they th- these were people with no fixed address and they didn't have families back home and stuff like that. Circus was the same way. Like this was like they would, they would, they would, uh, yeah. they would collect a and, little and, extra, extra yeah, money but, on the side. It wasn't and show it, people it, it, the circus hookers really added value though. They had comparative yeah. advantage. They're the best. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Trapeze artists. That's speaking what you of value. Really speaking of value. Yes. I'm about to do a spot. So uh, this next partner I'm about to talk about, Athletic Greens, has a product I use literally every day. I started taking it because I was traveling, and I don't like multivitamins. And I read it in Tim Ferriss. He said to take this stuff, Athletic Greens, so I started doing it. I've been using it for years. I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy green thing. It's got a mild tropical taste. It's not too sweet. I actually look forward to it every day. What is it? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help you start your day right. 
and inulin. They don't say throw inulin, but inulin's in there. It's, it's spectacular. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, aging, all of those things. Um, a lot of people take it in the morning. I take it in the afternoon. I actually like it then. It's kind of a nice little treat and a lift. Um, and it, I've been doing it for years, and I travel with little travel packs. And I'll, I'll tell you, when you're traveling, as I do, and sometimes you're a little bit behind on nutrition or you drink too much, it is spectacular and really sort of kind of gives you another lift the rest, the rest of the day. It is the one thing you need, but it has the best things in it. Athletic Greens use the best of the best products, best of the late, based on the latest science. With constant product iteration, third-party testing, less than one gram of sugar, important for me, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting great. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, along with mental clarity and alertness, and especially in the afternoon, but people do it in the morning, but you can do it whenever you want. Right now, it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. Uh, just shake it up. It's really easy to dissolve. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your health. Making To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with travel packs. That's what you get from now on. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash glop. Again, that is athleticgreens, all one word, dot com slash glop. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring Glop Podcast and also for making a terrific product that I use every single day. Wow. Delicious. It's great. It's uh, a good, I, it's, it's, I take it that neither of you guys has seen the new Avatar, The Way of Water. I have not. I have not, John. No. Okay. It doesn't, okay. it doesn't seem like it would appeal to such as myself. Have it would John? I have seen it. I wrote about it uh, for the Free Beacon. I have already podcasted about it with the uh, Sub Beacon people yet another podcast that i listen to that i can praise to to my friends but those are those are also my friends um but i i wanted to share with you an idea that came that maybe is not original but i thought it was original i haven't seen it made before about james cameron the director of avatar uh you know this is his first movie in 13 years his last movie was avatar which was the most successful movie ever made which succeeded uh, titanic which he made in 1997 as the most successful movie ever made having also made before that the most successful sequel ever made up to that time which was terminator 2 uh you know he's had this just he's made nine movies in 30 40 years and uh every one of them is kind of a remarkable achievement and uh and he you know he does everything he knows how the special effect does everything yeah, and yeah. and he's very earnest his movies are very earnest and they're often quite stupid um but uh he knows how to make a visceral connection between an audience and the story he's telling and he's actually a very brilliant storyteller in many ways and i suddenly realized watching avatar who he is whose successor he is. Because people are always saying, is he like Spielberg? Is he like Lucas? Or is a combination of this? Or maybe he's like Kubrick because he invents lenses and Stanley Kubrick used to do that. He's Cecil B. DeMille. So Cecil yeah. B. DeMille was the most famous, until Steven Spielberg came along, uh, was the most famous filmmaker yeah. uh, in, in history. And he is the inventor of Hollywood. Cecil yeah, B. DeMille literally director, made right? the first movie in Hollywood, which was The Squaw Man in 1913. He was running away from the patent thugs that Thomas Edison was trying to control the movie industry with, and he, he to get 
out of literally physically out of their reach. He first he went to Flagstaff, Arizona, and it turned out that the weather wasn't what he wanted. And he ended up in Los Angeles. And right there, about half a mile from the Hollywood Bowl, he built the first, he built a building that where he made the movie The Swamp Man, and that was the first movie, 1913. And then 43 years later, they release The Ten Commandments, which was his last movie. Uh, spent two years making it. You know, again, somebody who had invented ways of storytelling, physical works with the camera, an early yeah. adopter of sound, all of this, and had this populist ability to connect with audiences and the movies now you look at them and they seem kind of lame and ridiculous there's actually a whole thing at the beginning of the steven spielberg movie the fablemans where he as a five-year-old goes to see the greatest show on earth which was the which is a movie that demille made in 1952 which had early special effects in it of a train crashing they look ridiculous when you see them now but it haunted spielberg as a kid and so he has a obsessive compulsive relation with the scene where the train crashes and um and and that's who cameron is and and uh hmm. and what do you think yeah i mean uh, uh since Mill was the guy who sort of invented even being a director with the riding boots and the crop and the job port you know he was that guy he was the yeah. original and the big megaphone actually you know that big yeah. sets never stopped you know that some of the sets are still being are still around i'm actually more interested in like other people who are also other people. Like, I, I kind of think that's a really interesting area. The idea that, like, I had this idea the other day, and I thought, well, Elon Musk is brilliant, genius, all sorts of great things, but he's also kind of nuts. So, like, Howard Hughes invented the the bra and the, the <laughs> dolly and stuff, but ended up in a, don't you think Elon Musk is going to end up in some, you know, penthouse in Vegas, walking around with the Kleenex back boxes on his shoes? I mean, he's basically Howard Hughes, right? And we all know how that turned out. Not great. Um, it feel, feels to me like there are re- recurring characters here. Um, and if you're James Cameron, sure. The minute you build a giant tank to sink a boat, you're, you're in 1920s territory. Mm-hmm. I, know, I mean, so, yeah. I was just going to say, isn't, um, isn't Elon Musk, like, I mean, it was sort of, it's sort of too on the nose. The naming his car Tesla. Isn't he kind of like a Tesla type? I mean, rather than a Howard well, Hughes. Well, Tesla type. invented something. I mean, I think he's Howard Hughes. He's an industrialist, not a, not a inventor. Um, yeah, and, right. and a polymath and, all, and, a, and a nut. And, um, and I think also just kind of entering his delusional phase. I mean, I just saw that he said he described Twitter as a company. It's like an airplane heading to the heading to the ground, and all the instruments are on fire. Uh, and he, he had a big uh, all hands meeting with Twitter um, employees. He said, "Listen, we're we're going to run out of money. We have all this. We have all this debt. We had to pay. This company's in big trouble." It's like, well, yes, you it was fine, and then you took it and broke it and saddled it with debt. You, you you're not on the plane that's heading to the ground. You are literally Muhammad Ada on that plane. <laughs> No, like he's that's the gremlin on the wing, yeah. freaking out. Yeah, right, yes. right, right, yeah. right. But it's as if the gremlin owned the plane. <laughs> yeah, you did this. This is yeah. what you did. Yeah, but it's the gremlin like is Howard Hughes, of course, owned yeah. planes, right? That was yeah, yeah. and I designed yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Howard Hughes. People forget he was an incredibly impressive guy. He wasn't stupid. He was brilliant, um, but he was also kind of you know not entirely uh, mentally and emotionally stable, like some. Uh, electric car impresarios we could mention. He's a little bit like Seth Brundle, the Jeff Goldblum character from The Fly. Oh, 
Ooh, good, oh yeah, good, good analogy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because he wasn't Rundle really fly. he didn't invent Rundle things. Fly. He put he put things together in new ways, yeah. kind of thing. And and like you could totally see Elon Musk accidentally turning himself into a fly human hybrid. Yeah, he, uh, this is going to be a saying, story. And then saying, "My God, look what happened to me! I, I turned into a fly. What? You got to help me!" Like, well, no, you did this. You built the machine. <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> help me. <laughs> It's a great movie. Uh, do you oh, know when movie. they were filming that? That's the first fly, yeah. not the not the second fly, which is really a, a, a terrific movie. The first fly with Vincent Price, and the guy turns into a fly, and then he says, and he says he got a little head on yeah. a fly's body, right? And so he's saying, "Help me, help me!" And then they they kill him. And when they were filming the scene, the "Help me, help me" scene. They were all just, they could, they took them 20 takes because they were all giggling. Like they, they, <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing they'd ever filmed. Here is the craziest trivia question I will ever throw to you. Who do you think Not wrote true. the screenplay for The Fly? The original what writer? Or the... What's the original? What surprising, unexpected person wrote the screenplay for the 1959 movie The Fly? Are you ready? Yes. Okay. James Clavell. Seriously? James Clavell, the author of Shogun, Shogun and Taipan. And King Rat. And King Rat, and the director of King Rat, uh, the movie. Uh, yes, uh, James Clavell. Hmm. I, I wrote The Fly. So, uh, one of the strangest little uh, pieces of information that you will ever, that you will ever know. So, you know, now, did my... you just. No, Go no I was not Did you know that? Did you know that, or did you just look that up? No, no, I knew that because I actually met Clavel once. He, they made Shogun into a musical, and he was a friend of my then boss, Arno de Borgraves. And Arno and I went out to dinner with Clavel and his wife. How was the uh, musical? It was terrible. Uh, I it was say. it was excruciatingly bad. Um, but. Um, uh, a little geisha was, dance, second act, you know, open, curtain. I don't opener, even remember. Like, the Ascot you know, number and My Fair yeah. Lady, all the geishas dance. I remember nothing. I don't even know if it got to Broadway. Maybe it got to Broadway and closed immediately. But, but, um, but I'm Clavel the was loneliest this shogun. I'm a lonely shogun. I mean, he was huge. He was yeah. huge. Noble House, Taipan, Shogun. Those sure. books sold 10 million copies each or something like that. He was huge. And anyway, um. He was one of the authors that I read all the, like, you know, like sometimes yeah, you get hooked on an author. Um, so I have, I have an obscure trivia thing. Pod okay. may know this, but uh, as you may know, I am a huge fan of the movie They Live um, with Roddy, Roddy Piper. Sure. And sure. Um, it is, uh, which it is a movie that is considered, and I'm not making this up. I wrote about this a while ago, uh, considered one of the greatest uh, pieces of Marxist or neo-Marxist art of the latter half of the 20th century. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. Slavoj Zizek, or however you pronounce his name, has has written essays in praise of the movie for its mm -hmm. Marxist uh, conformity and whatnot. It's based on a short story called um, Eight O'Clock in the Morning by a guy named Ray Nelson. What is Ray Nelson's, since we're talking about inventors, what did Ray Nelson invent that he will ultimately long be remembered for beyond they live tang, tang. that's a good guess but no oh. the propeller beanie 
Wow. That is, that is, first of all, it's not that great a piece of trivia because you sort of have to spend five minutes introducing the fact of they, they, of, of they live. Which it is works great, better if way. you're talking about the movie. It's, a great it's movie. better if you see if you see someone with a yeah. propeller beanie. You say, "Hey, you know who invented that?" And then yeah. it works better as trivia. But, um, yeah. I like the idea. I don't know. I think it works because I then I'm not conjuring up. He invented the propeller beanie, which means that at some point he he like sat down and like sketched out what it was going to be like, mm-hmm. and maybe there were blueprints for the propeller beanie with like like look like, you know, like up and down kind of handwriting and the yeah. weird little little <laughs> yeah. things. And he had to go take it to a guy and say, what do you think? You can make one of these? Well, you can make one. I mean, I, it's not going to give you much lift. No, no, it's not going <laughs> to lift. It's like, it's just for stability. Okay. And the first one didn't work, and the second one was too heavy. And... <laughs> but this is the great thing about America. So, you know, there, the library at the University of Chicago is called, the, is called Regenstein. is named after Mr. Regenstein of Chicago, who gave the money to build the library. Joseph Regenstein. A famous what, silent partner of Abe Froman. Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago? Exactly, yeah. Very Abe same. Klein. Okay, yeah. yes. So what did Mr. Regenstein invent that made him a billionaire? You ready for this? The window envelope. Nice. So he figured out that if you send a bill to somebody and then you include an envelope then the bill features the address, the return address on it, and you put the bill in, and there's a window, and then the people don't have to write out the address. And he had to go somewhere, he had to get a patent for it, get the, you know, have figure out how to make the little plastic that would go in, you know, glue on it. And he made a billion dollars from inventing the window envelope. I think that's fantastic. I love this country. This country is full of, uh, full of, full of great, great, great stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, you have the inventors who make a billion dollars for inventing something that doesn't work, and yet morons buy it because they're trying to get attention, like Mark Cuban, who invented a camera that never worked that he sold to AOL for $500 million. <laughs> a 360-degree camera that was supposed to take 360-degree pictures, he sold it to AOL. AOL couldn't get it to work. And now Why Mark you Cuban owns that teams. It was like a thing where you would put it like on a put it on a post, and then you could have some kind of an image, a 360 degree image, sort of like a selfie. Only it would show you the entire. Don't ask me. What do mm-hmm. I know? I don't know what it was for. I don't know why OL paid five hundred million dollars for it. All I know is that Mark Cuban now thinks he's a genius, and he's on Shark Tank, and he owns and he owns bad sports teams, and he's very annoying. Fair, but you know fair. that's that's uh, that's that's America. That's America for you. Um, what else? So I was going to say Avatar. So it's uh, yeah. So uh, what do you think of it? So it's three movies, three hours, and each hour is a distinct movie. The first is like a summary of the plot. Uh, you know, catching of us the, up from the first one, from the first movie, mm-hmm. and that's watchable, but kind of. You know, not kind of a little clunky. And then the second hour is uh, they. The first movie was set in a forest on this on this non-existent planet, and the second movie is now set in a sort of like Bali in the Bali of the planet where the mm-hmm. people live in in and on around the water. And then there's like an hour of like what it is to live on the water on this planet, and it's beautiful and amazing looking and very boring. And then the third hour is the greatest action sequence you have ever seen in the course of your entire life. It is 
the war between the bad people who've come back to the planet and the indigenous people who and and fish and various other things who are going to drive them out as they try to kill uh good people and it is awe-inspiring it is like like cameron can do like Mm -hmm. the scenes in aliens where Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. where they go to war against the aliens or or the last hour and a half of Titanic, which is just, you know, jaw-dropping in its intensity, or um, Terminator 2, like the last half hour of Terminator 2, or all of the Terminator, which remains among the most original movies ever made. And this is an hour of action that goes from onboard ships and planes and in the water and on beaches and all this, and it is seamless, and it is... You watch it and you're going like, I mean, this. Th- there's nobody who has ever been able to use film the way that Cameron uses film. But, but you have to sit through two hours. The story is basically the same story from one. Well, so the story in one is this guy becomes goes and becomes an alien. So slowly right. he he he. It's a man called Horse. He's like he comes, yeah, yeah, he yeah. goes, he goes to the Indian tribe, and then at the end he he becomes an Indian. And he turns on his own people. And that's the Avatar story, right? Uh, White depredation, human depredation against indigenous peoples. And so this is now, yeah, they're back. Mm -hmm. They're back to do depraving things. And, um, and yeah, so some of that is pretty boring. And now the villain is back and the villain, this time it's personal, the villain Quaritch, because uh, he was killed in the last movie by the hero and his girlfriend and uh, he's now been his consciousness has now been uploaded into an avatar, and now he can like wander around the planet and try to take his revenge against uh, I see. having been killed. But so it doesn't matter what the plot is in this third hour; it is just mind blowing. Cool. But you know, you have to sit through two hours. Of, some of it's okay. Some of it is just like you've never seen anything so beautiful. But it's also like, what am I seeing? Yeah. I said in my review that it was like watching one of those screensavers from the early two thousands <laughs> on your Mac, where it like it turned your 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 screen into an aquarium, and like it was amazing looking. Like your screen, your computer screen turned into an aquarium. So this is like that, only with you know the cub with talking and mm-hmm. you know and 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 swimming and stuff. So. So, have you watched Andor? I have watched four episodes of Andor. I'm mm-hmm. way behind on Andor. Okay. What is your take on on Andor? Um, at first, I was just said it was the, I thought it was the best Star Wars product since Mandalorian. Um, well, that's really not did, hard because there were only there were two yeah, really no. bad products oh, since oh, Mandalorian: Obi Wan Kenobi and and the Book of Boba Fett, both of which were awful yeah or i mean but put it this way i didn't mean just chronologically I yeah. said, except for mandalorian i think it was the best but now i think it's better than mandalorian on thinking about it it's um it's amazing how long it took the star wars people to actually take their own moral universe seriously and actually put forward a show that has some moral and social depth to it and i think it's i thought it started incredibly slow Mm-hmm. And it was very annoying how it's how how slow it started and why do I need to know all of this and all of that and then um, I think they could have truncated the first three episodes into one and a half but um, I just think it's 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 great it's great it's like it's the first one where the the evil of the empire of the bad guys is not entirely cartoonish but you actually get the sort of moral interior life of the bad guys in ways that 
is is well done. So um, I liked it. By the way, our audience should know Rob is kind of disappeared from us. That's he's why. had some. He's having some trouble. He, he was thrown off our system and, and came back. So, but he wouldn't uh, talk about Andor. That's, so right. my, that's why I switched right. to Andor because we could take advantage of his absence. The thing that I was struck by that I thought was a particular positive of of Andor. I'm t- now talking about Disney Plus shows. So we have these yeah. two yeah. kinds of Disney Marvel shows and and Star Wars shows. And partially because of COVID, and partially because of uh, all sorts of things. One quality that they have all shared is this slight feeling that they are undercooked. Mm-hmm. That that and even the Mandalorian, which is which is really great, is a show in which there are like three people in a and a desert, and they're just sort of wandering around, and there are these kind of big confrontation scenes. But it's like one person is standing in the left side of the screen, the other person is standing in the right side of the screen, and then some kind of creature comes out from the ground in the middle that is a CGI creature. And it looks like nobody lives in this universe at yeah, all. No, yeah. there's nobody there. And Andor has managed, either because it was filmed after the protocols were over with or something, to give you a sense of this kind of teeming, corrupt metropolis, which is a new thing for, mm-hmm. for Star Wars in some ways. Because, uh, you know, there if you watch the original, you know, which was made for $12 million, it also... There's nobody anywhere. Like yeah, when yeah. when when they're on the when they're on the Imperial when the Imperial stormtroopers march in with Princess Leia and something, there are like five of them. <laughs> there are like five of them. They're marching around. There's a they're in a boardroom. There are like twelve people in the but the whole movie has like twenty people in it. Yeah, and yeah. and it's always been this weirdly undercooked. And and here you get a sense that this is actually a universe in which there are billions of people living, even though it's not set in a world in which there are billions of people living. And, um, and it also has the quality of uh, there are real stakes. Like one Mm -hmm. of the problems with these things is, you know, it begins, you said the first episode is bad, but it begins with our hero killing two people. He kills two people in an alley. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and he it's his fault like he he he's defending himself but he the whole movie the whole thing starts because he makes a terrible blunder the whole adventure is the result of him desperately trying to get information somewhere and exposing uh, something that he shouldn't expose and even that makes for an interesting and flavored story cuz uh yeah. Diego Luna who plays him uh, you know, is responsible, you know, make makes a mistake that has real world consequences that makes him start to go on the run. And then he ends up uh, you know, uh eventually joining joining the joining the resistance. So I I I like I don't love it. I mean again I haven't only but you and I have watched the peripheral. You and yes. I have both watched on Amazon. We both watched the peripheral which, by the way, is an avatarish quality to it because it's about people's consciousness being downloaded into right. fake bodies. Uh, and um, although in this case, they're downloaded into fake bodies many decades in the future as opposed to in fake bodies so that they can breathe on another planet. Um, and that is pretty damn good. That show is for a science fiction show. You know, on t- it's like, particularly after all these disappointments, like... House of the Dragon was a disappointment. The Rings of Power was a disappointment. The Wheel of Time was a disappointment. Those are all like fantasy stuff, but mm-hmm. 
this is actually pretty, pretty good and very interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's like one of the first time, like I, I, I'm a minor student of time travel yeah. techniques and movies and stuff. And, and the quant, the, 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 the use of sort of the, this new quantum transportation, teleportation science as a device to explain how this could work actually works for me in a way that usually it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and, and what I like about it is like, it's, it, 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 yeah, it scratches the itch for people who want uh, a sci-fi show that is basically lifted from a lot of the aesthetics of video games, right? It kind of plays on that in a little way, but it's not just that it's actually got interesting characters that are not cliched that don't fit the sort of off the shelf kind of action sci-fi show kind of thing and has some texture and layers to them. And I think it's great. I think it's great. I mean, I think it's like, and it's, it's not just great. It's interesting in a way that like they could not make Westworld interesting, which yeah. is kind of bizarre when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, what Westworld also, you know, talk about a show that degenerated over time, like first yeah. four, really four good episodes. And then like, I don't know where on earth, it went. I'm sort of reminded of um, these weird plot dangers that happen on the on these shows. So my son is watching The Flash, which is a show that's been on the CW for nine or ten years. This DC mm -hmm. show about the Flash, and um, and uh, the first two seasons of it are really good. Are like fun to watch, and it's a sort of fun dynamic. This fastest guy and how he does things, and these sort of weird villains and a, a good guy that turns out to be a bad guy. And then around like the beginning of the end of the second season, beginning of the third season, they go into the multiverse and there, you would know about this from the comic books. I don't, but like there, are, you know, 66 earths and different people who die in one earth, come back mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the next, in another. So they're dead and then they come back and you cannot make any sense out of it. And it just, becomes calamitously bad and that's the danger for these shows when they have power when they're based in plots that deal in paradoxes it's sort of like oh we don't know what to do with this so let's just invent another paradox and walk into it and that was westworld which just you know you, you would be hard pressed to describe in any linear way the plot of westworld after the first four or five episodes you just you couldn't do it because people are robots then they're not then they become robots again then they, then they're they're killed but they're not killed they're reborn but they're but they're dead but they, you know and and you don't know at any given yeah, moment it's like all it's, it's, it's weird it's like you took you got out this giant box that was filled with mistakes of other tv shows yeah. and <laughs> you shoved them into westworld so like westworld has the mistakes the worst mistakes of lost and battlestar galactica yeah. Right, where Battlestar Galactica at first very clear, Cylons bad, humans yeah. good, Cylons winning, humans losing. Let's bug out and save humanity. Yeah. And but some of them are amongst us. And then all of a sudden, by the end of it, it's like there are good Cylons and there are bad, bad Cylons. And like a lot of the humans that we thought were humans were actually kind of Cyloni and and, bleh, and Lost was just like let's just make stuff up as we go along and yeah. um and pretend elusively that there is some grand scheme to all of this when we're just 
making suckers yeah. of the audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, the ultimate, yeah, you wrote this great piece about Battlestar Galactica for commentary. If you search Jonah's name, Battlestar Galactica and commentary on Google, it will pop right up for you. The thing about that show and the thing about all these shows that makes them that, 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 that is angering and that is important. Like they re- really do alienate and anger people and anger their audience is that literally Battlestar Galactica said the Cylons came, they killed all but 50,000 people, you know, in human, you know, 50,000 people are, you know, trying to live their lives and, are, and the Cylons have a plan to control, you know, to, to, right. to win. So the show says they have a plan that is in the title sequence. And then of course the makers didn't have a plan. They didn't have a plan. And you, you can't say you have a plan when you don't have a plan. Like people go, well, screw you. You said there was a plan. I've been watching this. So you can tell me what the plan is. Right. And then it turns out there was no plan. Don't don't who are, who are you? It's worse than violating Chekhov's gun, right? Because Chekhov's gun (laughs) It's just an implied rule that says if you see a gun in the beginning, right. it's got to return in the yeah. third act kind of thing. This this wasn't subtext. This was text. Yeah. It was like literally yeah. printed on the screen. They have a plan. Yeah. You know? And like, yeah, it was just a lie. It was just a big fat lie. Um, have you watched terrible. Echo 3? No, I have not. It's on Apple TV. I because I was on planes a lot and traveling a lot uh-huh. and yada, yada, yada on trains. And so I. I, I was uh, generous in my viewing habits and I was expecting it to be just, it's on Apple TV. Um, I was expecting it to be your typical, um, you know, when you read the show description, it's uh, two special forces guys. Um, one's married to this woman. The other one's it's, it's her brother. She's kidnapped. They rescue her. And so you expect it to be, like yeah. lots of people getting shot as they, you know, some like a Chuck Norris movie or something, right? And it's actually a lot more subtle and weird um and kind of addictive uh and more political. Um and I don't think anybody's talking about it, but it's kind of it's it's worth watching. It's interesting. I uh Apple TV has the highest batting average of any streaming service I as far agree. as I can tell. It's amazing, and it's interesting because, of course, the whole point about Apple TV is that it's a side project for Apple. It is not Apple's... Def- it's the, the, so far from being Apple's defining feature, we don't even really entirely know why Apple is doing it, right? Because right. Apple is a hardware company that makes billions of dollars a year selling actual machines, whereas Amazon is selling, having people on Amazon so they'll buy things, and so Prime is a way for them to have people stay on Amazon and then buy things, and Netflix is only streaming, right? Net, all this is all Netflix is is subscribe, so you can, so you can get streaming. And and Apple, so as a result, because it's not Apple is not running for its life doing this thing. For some reason, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Like there are, there are, does you know? Not only did they you know buy and then release the best movie of twenty twenty one, which was Coda, which won Best Picture, and I think actually was the best movie of twenty twenty one. But they have that show, which I haven't watched. They have Shantaram, which is surprisingly good. I agree. They have um, they have Slow Horses, which is fantastic with Gary Oldman, spy show with Gary Oldman. They have The Morning Show, which I'm not crazy about, but people love. You love uh, For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Ted Lasso. It is a very high batting average. Yeah, yeah. 
Whereas Netflix, you know, Netflix has shows that pop and right now has this mammoth hit in the Wednesday show. But if you were actually going to figure out its batting average, it's insanely low. Like it's, you know, they're, they're batting like, you know, a hundred or something like that. If that, because they just make so much crap and then they just throw it up and see what sticks. But um, if you don't have Apple TV, you really, it's actually worth paying for. It's one of the few ones of these streaming services that is affirmatively worth uh, paying for simply because if you haven't seen anything on Apple TV you, you and you you want to just try something new, you're more likely to hit something that will interest you than you are on any other service, which will put yeah. stuff before you I that's think, bad. I think one way to think about it is 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 you're the it's the it's the streaming service that you're least likely to waste your time watching right right i mean like yeah. i mean the disney one it's just got such a huge library you know and particularly if you have kids i think you have to have like if i had still had little kids like this is just there's no like baby formula or disney streaming you know uh, what do we do <laughs> um, you know yeah. uh but uh um uh but netflix there's just so much garbage like if you haven't heard of yeah. something and you see it on netflix your odds are it's going to be bad or in yeah or or in subtitles in from yeah. you know wherever but apple they get to, i guess it's cuz uh-huh. they get to pick and choose their shots a little more selectively people don't make your loved ones face the dead of winter in old t-shirts ancient underwear and ratty sweats help them fight the cold with cozy Give the gift of Tommy John. In Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Shop Tommy John's Wrap It Up sale right now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, including yourself with new Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. With over 18 million pairs sold, giving Tommy John has become a holiday tradition. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Celebrate softness season with the new gift of Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. Every gift backed by Tommy John's best pair or you'll ever wear guarantee. Hurry, it's Tommy John's wrap it up sale and get 30% off everything plus free shipping at tommyjohn.com slash glop. Order now so that your gifts arrive in due time. 30% off plus free shipping at tommyjohn.com slash glop. tommyjohn.com slash glop. See site for details. Okay, I have just one one last question. So I don't think you have gotten into what is now commonly called the Taylor Sheridan verse. That's Yellowstone, uh, Mayor of Kingstown, Tulsa I love King. Mayor of Kingstown. Okay, I love Mayor of Kingstown too. So I just learned this interesting thing. So there have been so the Yellowstone family, the Dutton family, is now the is now the uh, is the two governor. prequels. One one finished. Yeah, he's now uh-huh. the governor. But he but Taylor Sheridan has made two series that are prequels. One, 1883, which ran last year on Paramount Plus, and the new one, which is called 1923, which has Har- Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren as the stars, <laughs> which just premiered this week. And 1883 is fantastic. 1883, which is only saddled with a terrible narration that so is that is that's bad but uh, exactly but is a show about a a wagon train that goes from Texas up is going to uh, Montana where they're going to settle and everything goes wrong on the wagon train and it's stunning and 1923 which is about they've gotten to the family finally gotten to Montana has established the ranch and everything's going wrong on the, wrong on the ranch there are locusts killing animals uh 
the son of the ranch has ended up like absenting himself and going to Kenya to Nairobi to to hunt animals because he is um he has uh, PTSD from World War One. And um here's what's interesting to me about it. So it turns out, according to Taylor Sheridan, the guy who made the show. All we ever hear about is, oh my God, Apple spent $250 million to on Lord of the Rings, or look at this, it spent so much money. According to him, the cost per episode of 1883 and 1923 is $35 million per episode. Wow. He he is spending there are 16 episodes of uh of 1923, uh, first date, and then he's made a second eight, and they they're they're gonna cost four hundred million dollars. They look it. It's magnificently beautiful. Hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, all anyone ever does is talk about how ruinously expensive all this stuff is. And that's pretty amazing. That is what's wild. $35 million an episode? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Is the Sylvester Stallone thing a Taylor Sheridan thing? It is. Yeah. It is. It's not very good. No, it's not. But I can't it's look. Fun. I can't look away. Um, It's. Yeah. It's, it's almost yeah. embarrassing. But I, it, there's something about it that I, I like. I don't know. His politics are so insane. He is like a combination of Rand Paul, Bernie Sanders, and an anti-woke activist. Like, mm-hmm. I don't quite know where it comes down. He's full of rage at the the way the West was settled and the cruelty to Native Americans and all of that. And on the other hand, what he likes is a good rancher who shoots things and, you know, punches people and makes fun of vegans. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a new form of, it's some version of Trump. um, If Trump were more interesting somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, it's really, it's, it's really quite nuts. Uh, Sadly, we are not going to get Rob back. Um, His internet has gone out. So Jonah, aside from your really wonderful podcast with Jessica Gavora, uh-huh. the uh-huh. your better half, uh, what what else can people? Where else can people find you? Well, I'm done traveling for a little bit, which I'm grateful for. Um, you know, I went to uh, the week before I left. I was like, I went up to New York and back same day. Next day, I went to Chicago. Chicago, Istanbul, Istanbul, London, London, DC done for a little bit um unfortunately like i was all ready to like throw myself back into work and the dispatch is going sort of semi-dark you know for uh the holiday so uh you can find me where you always find me i don't know i mean i'm gonna do a couple solo podcasts probably because it's gonna be hard to get guests and and all that kind of thing and uh um come to the dispatch.com oh there you go uh uh commentary is podcasting next week we are recording a series of podcasts on uh, things we recommend to you uh, culturally and politically um, that will run during during the Christmas break. Um, so you'll have a little bit of commentary daily content there. Uh, and, um, you know, you can hear me every day. Why you'd want to, I don't know, but you can. Uh, so just go to, go to Apple and look up the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast and uh, you can somehow see how we pull out an hour of content every day on the basis of absolutely nothing. Well, maybe let's just think about this for a second. Uh, if I can figure the nice thing about having our head podcast guy, audio guy, um, be a 
uh, an Israeli Jew is that he can't invoke Christmas as an excuse not to do things. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, maybe I'll have you on the run next week if, if that's doable. Uh, I, I, I would, I would be delighted. We're actually, we're going to Disney from the 25th to the 29th, but I will be back on the 30th. So what is Disney world like on Christmas? Uh, it, it, it can be, I, we've been there before. It can be pretty great, but of course the snowmageddon, yeah. cold blast, whatever is going to make it very cold, which isn't so terrible at an amusement park actually, because um, you know, you're doing a lot of walking and it's yeah. more pleasant not I mean, to be sweaty, but it does ruin the water rides. What's very cold for Orlando? Like it's going to be 32 or 33 oh, really? in the mornings. Yeah. Like, like, like cold, not bitterly yeah. cold. Um, but you know, uh, D- Disney can be, I mean, it's very crowded, Yeah. but uh, they still have some weird COVID restrictions in place. I gather, which is limiting the crowd size. Um, they're also gouging everybody so much that uh, that fewer people are going because they're making more money per person, which was one of mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. now the now deposed Bob Chapek of Disney's efforts to keep the country com- company whole during COVID was just to just to you know screw people who go to the parks. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, that's where we'll be. So I'm back at the at the end of the week if you yeah, if you want me. Yeah. Okay, because I, I I know I know that you said that uh, that Jessica is the most most requested a return guest. Um, mm-hmm. I assume I'm I'm the second most most requested. You're on the list. Guest. You're definitely you're on the list. But I mean, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm no Star Walt. I I grant you. Yeah, but I'm like we we you know there's a lot of demand for Star Walt, but we satisfy it. He's been on many many times. And, yeah, he uh, is. You can't beat him. Um, you and, can't beat him. Uh, you know, part of the reason, but it's okay. You don't have to tell me that I'm the second most. I understand. I said you're it's really between you and me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, who knows how long that list is? Could, I, that list could be a hundred people. I left it ambiguous. You're on. The list. There you go. Um, all right, my friend. Uh, have a okay. wonderful holiday, and I'll see you, you soon. You too. Okay. And Rob says bye too. On Christmas Eve, the Gentiles gather round the Christmas tree. They stay at home and party with their Goyesha family. They disappear one day each year and pass the eggnog round. But it's all right, because that's the night the Jews control the town.
Mic doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. The mic doesn't work. I gotta throw the mic out. I forgot to do that. Last time okay. this happened. I throw the mic out. Okay. All right, so we're done here.